When it comes to COVID vaccination, neighbors Mexico and the United States have very different realities. Both countries also have had different strategies during the pandemic. In fact, many Americans fled to Mexico looking for a more organic or even touristic lockdown. But one year later, how did that all work out? Today on the America's Now podcast, we will examine how Mexico did during the pandemic, how the vaccine rollout is uh, going, and what happened to those expats who ended up in Mexico. Hi, everyone. I'm Elaine Reyes in Washington, D.C., and this is the America's Now podcast. Today, we are talking with Mexico-based correspondent Alistair Baverstock, who is currently in Mexico City. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. So first, let's address the first anniversary of the lockdown in Mexico, and that includes the vaccination program that launched in 2020. So we're going to talk about what has happened in the country from March 2020 to March 2021. How would you summarize the past year? Well, a question. Very difficult. Very difficult indeed. Mexico has been a country which has not handled the pandemic well at all, partly through government mismanagement, partly through social people not uh, wanting to observe protocols, and partly because it simply hasn't been able to. Mexico is a country in which uh, more than 50% of the population work in the informal economy, which is in a a layman's way of saying it, that they don't pay their taxes. Uh, a, A great deal of them don't have bank accounts and they make their money by going out on the streets and selling what they can. So when a government asks them to stay indoors for months at a time and only leave to get to the supermarket, they simply can't do it. So Mexico has had a great deal of trouble with that. And another problem has been government enforcement. At no point has there been any enforcement of masks from the federal level. The Mexican president has routinely refused to wear a face mask despite getting COVID himself. He returned uh, after 10 days of being uh, in isolation and stood up to the podium at his first press conference afterwards and said, I'm not going to be wearing a face mask. I'm an example to the rest of the country. I'm fine, so everyone else should be fine. And in the meantime, at least 250,000 Mexicans have died from COVID-19. So it has been a very difficult situation for this country and one which now, looking past March 2021, is going to remain a difficult situation. So a lockdown wasn't really a lockdown, and there was no mask enforcement. So was it pretty much life as normal? It wasn't life as normal. It seems to a great extent in Mexico that wherever you go, people uh, and businesses are trying to do what they can in order to, to observe protocols. But it seems also to a certain extent the, the different regions of Mexico and where you go has a great deal to do with it. For example, the part of Mexico City where I live, people are quite observant. You always see face masks in the street. But if you drive 15 minutes down the nearest main road, you'll drive into an area where you won't see any face masks at all. So a lot of it has come down to regional observation and regional culture in Mexico. It's been a, a, a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. You reported on expats, mostly Americans, living around the Lake Chapala area, which is a beautiful place for retirement. And people also move there because healthcare is more affordable and they have a good quality of life. Did the pandemic change that? 
pandemic certainly changed life in Lake Chapala. In March of 2020, when the pandemic first hit, it was one of my first thoughts as a correspondent here that we have to go and look at how the Canadian and US communities, the expat communities in Chapala and a lot around that area of Jalisco State are doing. It was at the start of the pandemic when US and Canadian authorities didn't demand, but strongly recommended that their nationals abroad return home. So we went to Chapala to see how many people were going home. And we found that when it came to the seasonal travelers, people who come down for the winter to escape those harsher winters in the northern parts of North America, who come down here for the winter, they all left because they weren't sure whether they were going to be able to return in April or May due to flight situations. But for those people who have moved their lives entirely to Lake Chapala, their main point was, well, people tell me to go home. Well, this is my home. This is where I feel safer. And a lot of the doctors who we spoke to at the start of the pandemic, and it certainly proved to be true, is that when it comes to the spread of infection, you know, being around other people is the main factor. So if you're going home to Toronto or to New York or, you know, Seattle, from these places, you're going to be in more densely populated areas compared to you simply being in your own home in a place where there's lots of wind, lots of space, and not seeing many people. And you can much more easily self-isolate, and it's much nicer probably to self-isolate on the shores of Lake Chapala in a nice big mansion that you've built for yourself rather than back home in in cold North America. Mm -hmm. And so for those who stayed, are they still happy with the Mexican healthcare system? Well, for those who stayed and those who are residents, while they do qualify for the IMSS, which is the Mexican Social Security Healthcare System, very few of them actually use it. It's what they're using, that they will come down here and use their medical insurance to go to private institutions. And of course, Mexico, you know, it's a country which has a great deal of those. There's a good offering for those who want to use it. So yes, you know, people are certainly very happy with the healthcare situation here. And when it comes to uh, Mexico in particular, the, the difference in survival rates for those who've been hospitalized uh, between private and public institutions has been very, very stark. When it comes to private institutions, I think the statistic, certainly over the first year of the pandemic, was around 20% of those hospitalized lost their lives in private institutions compared to more than 50% of those who were hospitalized in public Mexican healthcare institutions. So for people who are a bit older, living in Lake Chapala, spending their golden years and their retirement down in Mexico, their, their dollars, their pensions go a lot further when it comes to insurance. They go a lot further when it comes to healthcare and private healthcare in Mexico. So for many people here, it was to use the phrase of one Canadian chap who we interviewed, staying in Mexico was a no brainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go to the other end of the spectrum and head to the border. Uh, What happened with the border this year? Because a lot of people look at San Diego and Tijuana as as one large urban settlement. It's all one big area, one in the same. Did people cross back and forth like they did pre-COVID to work, to shop, uh, to visit family? Or did you see noticeable change? Well, certainly Tijuana, you know, when you look at Tijuana and San Diego, a lot of anthropologists look at that region as one metropolitan area due to the the, the transition 
of people on a daily basis between Mexico and California. So what officially happened was in March 2020, the United States shut off all, all non-essential land travel to the United States. So that essentially meant that anyone who wasn't either a US citizen or had essential business in the United States, which you had to prove using your visa, you could no longer enter on a tourist visa, could cross. A, a large amount of the population in Tijuana are US citizens. They ha have been born in the United States. And so crossing into the United States to cross back and forth remained business as usual. In fact, a lot of people were a lot happier with the situation because the queues at the San Isidro border, which are, you know regularly can, can take you three or four hours just to get to the border itself and then into California, were slashed significantly. But when it came to those people in Tijuana, certainly, who would cross on tourist visas to work informally in the United States, they simply had to find other things to do, other ways to make money in Tijuana. And in fact, Tijuana's economy, more than anything, has probably benefited from the COVID-19 pandemic. Certainly when we were there in December of 2020 last year, covering stories for the channel, we came across economists who said, no, instead of people going to the United States to pick up perhaps you might be um, you might have a clothes store in Tijuana instead of going to the United States to get your merchandise and taking your pesos turning them into dollars and spending them there now you're using pesos and buying from merchants who are inside Tijuana so that has stimulated the local economy a great deal but Tijuana is a city if you have ever been there or ever seen pictures of it it's a city which you know runs right along the border wall and and exists entirely because it's at the US border so the fact that the border was closed to all non-essential travel has certainly impacted on a lot of lives along the border. And particularly the fact that while the United States and Mexico have agreed upon a ban on all non-essential travel, the only country that's actually enforcing that is the United States. If you go to the States, you can go in if you're a US citizen or have an essential travel visa. But if you're coming from the United States back into Mexico, it's the same state of affairs. There's no checks whatsoever. You just drive straight in. So I think that's been a point of contention for a lot of Mexicans living in Tijuana. But of course, at the same time, Tijuana now, after more than a year of uh, lockdown, has been able to reopen its discos and bars and its nightlife scene, which attracts a lot of people from the United States and, and, and California in particular. So now having received a boost to its local economy it now may begin to receive as tourists begin to cross back into tijuana more uh, dollars than it was receiving uh, over the past year and what about the issue of migrant caravans because you go to other parts of the border and you see these migrant caravans making their way from central america having to be held in parts of mexico to prevent moving into the united states how are migrant caravans being viewed at the moment? Are they seen as a health hazard? Is that sort of the main, you know, perception of them right now versus it being more of an immigration issue? Well, Central American migration during 2020 was not really an issue any longer. Mexico, you know, Central America closed its borders to exterior countries. And, and so crossing from Honduras to El Salvador to Guatemala was simply impossible for migrants. As soon as that was lifted in September of 2020, migration numbers 
were a lot lower than we had expected to see them, given that the the ongoing situations of violence uh, in Honduras and El Salvador in particular are absolutely outrageous at the moment. As uh, recently we saw that the brother of the president of Honduras was convicted by a New York court of narco-trafficking charges and sentenced to life plus 30 years for his crimes. That's the brother of the president of Honduras. So that's obviously a situation in Honduras, which is uh, the crime continues to get worse and migrants continue to flee. One thing that we saw in late October and early November of last year was these two very devastating hurricanes, Eta and Ayota, which displaced tens of thousands of people from across those countries, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, that northern triangle of Central America where the majority of Central American migration stems from. So at the start, we, so we saw one attempted caravan at the start of December and then one again in January. But one thing to think about when we look at Central American migration, certainly in 2021, is the fact that caravans are no longer really an issue. And that is because when they first started in 2017 and in 2018, governments didn't really know how to handle them. Now that they have had experience of migrants moving in very large numbers, they have worked out exactly how to stop uh, the advance of caravans. And unfortunately, it's using military checkpoints, military forces deployed against them, and in a lot of cases, violence. But migrant caravans, we're not really seeing any longer. But what we are seeing in 2021, and another huge factor here is the fact that the Trump administration is now gone. Uh, Joe Biden came into office seeming to be more benevolent towards asylum seekers. And that has encouraged a lot of people to move towards the United States to once again take up the migrant trail. One thing we've seen this year, more than any other year before, is the number of unaccompanied minors from Central America moving through Mexico on their way to the United States is absolutely enormous at the moment. It's estimated that you know anything up to 50% of all the migrants, Central American migrants on the trail at the moment are unaccompanied minors, you know, kids under the age of 18 who are moving towards the United States, either because they have parents in the United States already who are waiting for them, or because they are fleeing the poverty that they see their parents living in in Central America. So when it comes to Central American migration, yes, they are seen as a health hazard, but migrants are already, when it comes to Mexico and the way they are perceived, they are already here, you know, the lowest of the low. So when it comes to you know pandemic or not, they're still going to be moving and they're still going to be having a very bad time as they do it. You uh, told us about uh, how the government has responded to the COVID pandemic over the past year, even how the president has viewed mask wearing and a plan, if, if you will, if there is a plan. But have, have they done anything right? Ha, uh, has the government had any strengths in the way they've approached the pandemic? And looking ahead, what challenges do you think remain for the government in trying to play a part in getting this pandemic, this global pandemic, under control? When it comes to what the Mexican uh, government has done right when it comes to the pandemic, they've had nightly press conferences in which they remind the public about just these dangers of what's going on. You know how to handle these things and and they come out every day with their figures about you know death rates and and they uh, they have a federal government platform uh, which publicly 
publishes those uh, figures of infection rates and recovered and deaths on a daily basis. So the, the public has been informed and they've also had the subsecretary, the, the vice minister for the health ministry here has, has been a voice of calm throughout the, uh, the pandemic who has done a good job in communicating to the public the, the dangers. But he's also a man who over the Christmas holidays uh, ignored his own advice and went down to the beach uh, without wearing a mask, was socializing and, and captured on, on in photographs doing so. So I would say when it comes to Mexico, it has been mixed messages throughout the pandemic, but it's something which, as I mentioned, that, that the country hasn't really been able to do anything about. It's extremely difficult for Mexico to, to observe lockdown protocols simply because of the social and economic makeup that we have here. Another thing that government has done well, um, at least recently, is the, uh, the country's vaccination program. The, the, this government, when vaccinations first began to roll out, it had vaccine deals signed with, I think, five or six different countries around the world for vaccines that had and here in Mexico, we now have Pfizer, AstraZeneca, CanSino, Sinovac and Sinopharm, three big Chinese uh, vaccine products, which will all be, which are and will continue to arrive in Mexico across this. And of course, you know, uh, China has been absolutely vital for Mexico's own vaccine uh, vaccination program. Pfizer really let Mexico down at the start of the pandemic. In January, we had uh, shipments arriving, which suddenly stopped for three weeks. No more Pfizer for the meantime. And Mexico took that to the United Nations with its foreign minister saying that we need to see more vaccine sharing. We need to see the, the countries who most need these vaccines, the, who, who don't necessarily have the economic resources to bid for them on the international stage to get access to the vaccines that they need. Because Latin America and these countries in particular, like the Caribbean, have been some of the worst hit by the pandemic precisely because of the the, the inability to lock down, uh, the lack of medical resources that um, that you don't see in Europe or in or, or in the United States. So the Mexican government has been doing what it can, absolutely, and uh, it's going to continue to do so. When it comes to future challenges with lack of ability to lock down, it's going to be, you know, down to the Mexican government to get its uh, to to secure the um, the resources, not only vaccines but medical resources as well, that it needs to to combat this pandemic. And uh, quite simply, because the public here simply can't afford to lock down in the ways that you know and receive stimulus checks in the way that Europe and the United States has. So with the vaccines becoming more available, and you mentioned all the all those names. Is there a sense of hope and or optimism among people there? Um, do they feel like the end is near as far as rounding the turn with this pandemic as more people get vaccinated? Are they hopeful? Well, certainly people, when we've been to vaccination events here in Mexico, people are once they've received it, they're, they're being very responsible about it. They're saying, yes, I'm glad I received the vaccine, but now I'm going to go back home, wait another three weeks, you know, still under lockdown before I've had the second, and then it's going to be to, to continue to do that. Another thing we've seen here in Mexico is that those with the economic power to do so have simply left the country to, uh, to get vaccinated in the United States. In January, we saw we were at the Mexico City International Airport uh, filming this story and pretty much everyone on the Delta and American Airlines and United Airlines flight up to Texas or California or Florida, which seems to be mainly where they're going, was going to 
to get their jab and then return again in three weeks to do it again. So people here are, are getting vaccinated. People here are feeling hopeful. But when it comes to turning the corner, uh, I, I would certainly say that here in Mexico, there's still a long way to go before they can feel like the pandemic's truly behind us. Well, we will have to keep checking in with you. Alistair Baverstock, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for being with us on the America's Now podcast. To listen to the first full season of the America's Now podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just search for America's Now CGTN America. Our executive producer is Jose Velasquez. Our sound editor is Caroline Allnut. And our copy editor is Joe Zarenko. The head of the Features Unit is Umberto Duran. And I am Elaine Reyes in Washington, D.C.